0: Welcome to Hometown Hustle, a show where we introduce you to the leaders, speakers, and entrepreneurs right up the street from you who have gone against the grain to make their dreams a reality. As we dive into the stories behind their success, our goal is to inspire and empower a future generation to step into the fullness of its potential and destiny. I'm your host, Bogdan Padua, and this is Hometown Hustle. On this episode, we sit down with Todd Olson, the founder and CEO of Pendo a product experience platform that helps product teams create software customers love. Five years ago, Todd was leading a five person team and today he employs over 200 people internationally with over $100 million in funding. So without further ado, enjoy this episode with Todd Olson.
1: Bogdan, that's an unusual name, isn't it? Yeah, it is unusual. You're the second Bogdan that meant my life. Really? My, um, college, sophomore, linear algebra teaching associate, Bogdan Dolchinov, yes.
0: You remember the exact class. Yeah. <laughs> and the last name. <laughs> and the last name. <laughs> yeah. it, uh, <laughs> East, East, Eastern European? Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, do you know where from?
1: An odd country, not not one of the typical Eastern Europeans that I would have known of. Gosh, gotcha. um, Which one? Where's your from? So I'm half Polish and half Polish. Filipino. Yep. Yeah, Joachimov would not be would not be uh, probably
0: Russian, so Czech. I feel perhaps. like it was like Hungarian or something like that. Yeah, something crazy. Something. But there aren't many Bogdans. You're there are not right. many Bogdans. <laughs> I'm definitely one of the only ones, <laughs> only uh, ones in this area. Are we looking crispy? Sounding good. Just do one more test. Of- we a little audio to show on the last, to all this up and then not have it's
1: a tough class, that's how I remember this guy. So, I mean, it's like, it was like the first that's math class I remember about, in my life being like, Oh my class. gosh, I have to go to a teaching associate. <laughs> so, like, I never gotten less than an A in math, and then all of a sudden, you end up in college. It, it's like, you know, just oh, like Holy shit, this the is kids, really
0: the kids who got A's and B's are now like barely struggling to. Yeah, yeah it was goodbye. like
1: uh, I had to actually work a little bit, and I was like pissed off. I was like, "Why does this more complicated than it feels like it should be?" And I ended up figuring it out. So, so. it always came easy to you during yeah, math? Of- is I mean, look, it's just you know, yeah, it was hey, one course. of my my better subjects, and took a lot of math in college. So a computer science degree, mm. electrical engineering degree. So
0: did you do that by choice, or was that? Yeah, like- yeah,
1: I wanted to. I mean, <laughs> you know, once you get into deep collegiate math, yeah, it gets. Like, then you realize, okay, I'm not going to become a math major. And the probability yeah. I use three dimensional calculus again is probably very small. Right. right, right. <laughs> Especially now at Pendo. Yep. Don't use any three dimensional calculus in my day to day. But, um, you know, look, it, they, they were good, challenging classes. They require you to, to do a lot of creative thinking and problem solving. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, I want to think it made me a better person, maybe right. in the grand scheme of things. Right. Um, but yeah, it was, um, yeah, it's, I went, yeah, went to CMU, and I think one CMU. of the, um, yeah, they made it particularly difficult for some of the engineering folks in certain classes. Like, mm-hmm. they would make it harder for us to do well in physics. Like Really? Like, a typical electrical engineer, like, physics, too, would have a lot of circuits. They cut circuits out of our curriculum because they knew mm-hmm. it would be too easy for us. Really? They just needed to? They gave us just a test. They literally had a day where tomorrow you're going to have a test on it. We're not going to teach you it because we expect you to know it. Wow. done next day test <laughs> no way
0: and you, you made a you, you well that one was it. easy because i didn't know it but right. uh you know i think
1: a lot of people you know i, I think to, yeah yeah, yeah. So i think oh. i think it you know it's it's um yeah it's good i mean look
0: if it's all easy you know, that's just no challenge oh, yeah. i don't really grow as people so gotcha. Um really matt and i have grown up in this area we've really adopted it as our home and we recognize that a lot of our peers are going to these big schools and they feel like they need to go to the New York cities and the Los Angeles, um, the Silicon Valley's to do something special. But the reality is people are doing incredible things. And oftentimes, it's a, they're a lot closer than we think, right? So Absolutely. we want to expose that really in an effort to inspire and empower a future generation, so my peers, to really step into the fullness of their potential and destiny. So we want to learn from your experience and what you've done here at Pendo to hopefully take strides towards uh, living out our destiny. Awesome. Sounds good. So you're going to be speaking on November 9th, I believe. I am. At the Innovate Summit. What should guests be most excited about? What should they be looking forward to? Yeah,
1: you know, I think the um, what I'm planning on talking about is just telling our story okay. and also hoping set a vision for what's possible. And you know, I was talking to one of our uh, seed investors who's local yesterday over mm-hmm. lunch, and he was saying, is, is what happened here a fluke, or is this something that we could expect a lot more of in the triangle? And, and absolutely. Um, uh, what we've done, our growth, our trajectory, how we built this company is something easily rec- replicable. It's something mm-hmm. you can do here. We should see more companies like Pendo's around. And that's right. part of our goal is not just um, executing well and building you know, the best business we can do, but also setting an example for what's possible in a
0: triangle. Right. So what do you think is special about the Triangle? Why Raleigh? I know I, I did some research on you, obviously. I know you wrote a, a, a blog titled Why Raleigh, and you really elaborated on that. But reiterate, like, why, why have you decided to really build a home base here in the Triangle?
1: I think in 2018, you know, the, this economy is all built around knowledge workers and people, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know, factories and fixed assets is, is no longer what's fueling our economy. It's amazing people. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think... Um, couple things about this area which helps attract the the best and brightest one of course is our fantastic university system Mm -hmm. we have three actually pretty different uh world-class universities uh very very close producing a lot of really young hungry talent that if we can find (laughs) a way to keep them there obviously it's really great for the area Uh, the second thing is it's also a great very affordable place just to reside right Mm -hmm. so if you're A person and you're looking at you say raising a family or just looking for a good quality of life i think the Mm -hmm. triangle offers an exceptional quality of life certainly in contrast to other areas in in the country so those are two of the, the main factors about you know why i see this as a special
0: place okay interesting so the one takeaway that you want guests to leave walk out i know you're closing out the the summit with the final keynote the one takeaway that you want them to to walk away with is that what you've done is spectacular it is amazing but the students that we have here, the talent that we have access to, there's no reason we can't see other pendos coming up in the next couple decades. Is that, is that kind of what you want to still? We need to, we need to
1: see more. And I think we need to leverage the amazing talent and Mm -hmm. focus on building companies, um, to, to really reach our maximum potential. Right. So who was Todd at 21? Todd at 21. I started my first company around 2021. So I was, an entrepreneur as well, you know, mm-hmm. kind of cutting my teeth on it. You know, mm-hmm. A lot less experience than I than I have now. Probably a little rougher around the edges, admittedly, in mm-hmm. terms of uh, my work habits and styles. But, you know, doing what I love then, and I'm still doing what I love now. What do you wish you had known at 21 that you now know? Yeah, I think there's, all, all, like, innumerable right. things. Uh, and I, I think about, um, I think, how to motivate and lead people. You know, when I was really, really young... Um, you know, I, I thought just if I worked hard and kind of set an amazing right. example of like pulling all nighters and doing all sorts right. of things like that, I thought that somehow that would inspire and convince everyone else to pull all nighters. Right. And for some reason, I thought that was some <laughs> that sign was of success uh, that we <laughs> could just, work you know, innumerable hours and push ourselves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I'm a lot older now. I don't right. do that. And I realize it's not sustainable nor right. wise because people don't produce their best right. work when they're exhausted, even under the influence of caffeine right. and coffee, whatever. Um, so that, you know, I think that that's been a big uh, learning in the making. Um, yeah, you know, other learnings as well. I think I started my first company before the lean startup book came out. And for those who haven't read it, you know, um, and it may be seen commonplace to everyone in this generation, right. but, uh, mm-hmm. You know, very early in my career, I would build something, ship it, start hiring salespeople, and just be shocked when you know people weren't using it, right? right. There, there was less of conversation around how do you experiment? How do you do validated learnings, mm-hmm. right? It's all part of a vocabulary now, but was not part of a vocabulary, say, in 1997, 1998 okay. when I was that age, right? So um, so how we started Pendo was very different than how I started. Prior companies and it's just taking all that learning
0: and trying to do it the right way from scratch. So do you think the the landscape, the entrepreneurial landscape has shifted in many ways since the time you first took that first step and now as, as entrepreneurs? Oh, are and how so? I so. think it's
1: the infrastructure, the conversation, there were no co working spaces. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, I, I maybe they existed, but I was less familiar with things like uh, PEOs or mm-hmm. professional employment organizations. I mean, I remember. Literally having an IRS table out in front of me, trying to hand compute the taxes for everyone's paycheck every month, oh my, uh, and signing all of them by hand, you know. And and now there's some power in signing every single check, in that I knew where all the money is going. Mm -hmm. I think it made me an informed entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. but it was not a good use of my time, right? right? Of course. Um, I remember negotiating leases and dealing with office space and all sorts of things that you know, frankly, were not core to driving the business, right. you know, helping the actual startup itself, right? right? So we just have so much infrastructure and in, um, cloud computing wasn't mm-hmm. a thing, right? right? So we had to stand up servers and have them hosted and deal with it when our hard drives fail. Right. You know, now we're just rent just compute it. and yep. it's a totally it's different world. Yeah, done. I mean, I
0: um, it's an exciting time to be an entrepreneur. It really is. It's Absolutely. the best time I've ever seen it. Absolutely, so I know with the nature of your business, there's a high degree, um, of uh, professionalism, there's a high degree of technical knowledge and aptitude that you and the people here at Pendo need to have in order to do your jobs well. What would be your advice to, uh, let's say, someone who's 18, 19, 20, maybe recently dropped out of school in order to pursue uh, entrepreneurship and business full time? What would your advice be to them? Would it be to just dive head first or would, you rather see them take the time, invest in the next five, 10 years of their life into really building a skill set, becoming exceptional at their craft. What would what would that look like? For you? Well, I think if their craft is entrepreneurship, I think
1: diving in is fine, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think entrepreneurship, the, the difference between starting something and then saying working for a traditional business is that mm-hmm. typically when you start something, you're going to get a breadth of experience really, really fast. It's kind mm-hmm. of a jack of all trades phenomenon right. versus being deep in any one thing. Um. i've been fortunate i i kind of did the entrepreneurial thing got a lot of broad skills then i joined a company where i got deeper in certain areas and i started another thing and went broad again so i kind of you know ping-ponged back and forth between the two so i've both gone deep and gone wide Wide. i think honestly i'd recommend finding a way to do both i think it's benefited me a lot i think going deep gives you perspective you wouldn't have Mm -hmm. when you're Um, simply working for your own startup. I mean, there is a benefit to working for someone else. You do learn about other styles and other techniques. And um, it's not to say that everyone has to do that, but Mm -hmm. uh, I know that I've benefited uh, from it as well. And I think that the big key too is having a passion around learning and lifelong Mm -hmm. learning. You know, I, I... Really love business books. That does not sound fun or exciting. <laughs> no. um, and I realize it makes me pretty boring read during my vacations because right. I bring two or three business books. Really? But reading about culture, reading about hiring, reading about team building, mm-hmm. um, I, I really do enjoy it. I mean, some, some books are better written than others um, so. and
0: some are slogs, but um,
1: right. I, I get through all of them. And I think it kind of helps me stay
0: fresh in what's current today. Mm, I love that. Now, earlier you said something that really stood out to me, the importance of leadership. And and guiding really casting a vision and and really setting the tone for an organization what do you think great leaders have that average ordinary every other day people don't what separates the (laughs) the exceptional leaders from those who who fall behind
1: yeah I think the really good leaders can see around corners
0: you know see things
1: ahead of other people Mm -hmm. and you know, honestly, it's one of those things that I'm always very paranoid about. Like, am right. I not sitting around a corner right now? And, right. I, and I think there's also there's also a lot of health in being paranoid. I mean, I'm mm. incredibly paranoid. And, you know, Andy Grove from Intel wrote this uh, book years ago, Only really Paranoids Survive. And, you know, I, I, think, um, I think those types of attitudes um, are ones that, I, you know, I see successful leaders employ. I mean, some of the most successful leaders I've met you would never know they're successful from speaking with them because they're constantly trying to be better, mm. constantly bettering themselves, constantly bettering the organization. And, you know, every for every success we have, um, like if I take a, a sales number or a mm-hmm. goal or a quarter, I mean, after we achieve it, the next quarter goes back down to zero and right. we start again, right. right? So we ship a feature, next week we're back to zero on the next feature, right? right. So like there's a constant sense that Okay, just because we did it once, right. it's not a free pass to just uh,
0: take it easy this time, right? So, so just constantly pushing yourself. So what do you do to keep yourself accountable? You know, you're, you're operating at a really high level, and you need to make sure that, just as you said, you're reading books, you're getting better, you're improving. How, how, do, you, how do you manage that? I imagine imagine there's a lot of stress and, and, and pressure from the outside. How do, how do you keep up with that? What is your well I think that the the, like? the
1: best stress, the best motivation anyone can have comes from within right mm-hmm. I, I don't think a lot of us like being pressured from other people. We like being pressured within, but mm. um, I'm very competitive um, I've been fortunate to hire an amazing group of people around me, and, and frankly, they push me you yeah. know when when they do really well, it motivates me to do my very, very best mm-hmm. so by surrounding yourself with great people who who constantly push themselves that'll ultimately mm-hmm. push you and um I mean, I just want to win. And, yeah. and winning is, is something that um, you know, just takes a lot of effort. And we look at every little thing that is imperfect or we're not winning on, and we say, right. what does it take to win, win. here,
0: too? Because right. uh, every little piece matters. Right. So that seed of greatness that you have within you that has helped you operate at, at a really high level, do you think that's something that you were born with that was inherently within you? or Do you think that's something that was cultivated, nurtured, and developed really over the trajectory of your career?
1: Uh, you know, (laughs) it's hard to say. Uh, I, I, I think some of it's probably nature, not nurture. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I've always been the kind of person that just despises losing and everything that Mm -hmm. I do. And, um, yeah, you you know, it's honestly taken me a while when I am going from a a youth to an adult (laughs) of handling losses better. Cause I certainly, when I was young, I didn't handle them as well as I handle them now. And, and, um, and and there is a skill to being a, a a poor you know a good loser versus a poor loser. But mm-hmm. uh, um, no, I, I think being motivated, being driven, is something that that um, I do think is core to me. Yeah, but I think other folks you know can get inspired in different ways. I
0: mm-hmm. so. mean, one of the last questions that I have, you you said something about losing and you hate losing, you love to win. Is there an apparent uh, an apparent failure, or an apparent loss that really set you up for a success later that you can recall and? and you can pull back from your history?
1: Well, look, I mean, I've had two prior startups. Neither have grown to the size and scale of Pendo, certainly in this rate. Um, you know, the, the the first startup I had, you know, we, we yeah, they call it pivot now, but let's be honest, we failed. Really? You know, and absolutely, it was a hard crash. You know, I had to lay off 20 or 30 people in a single right. day. Um, and... I mean, that stuck with me, you know, and, and, you know, we, we didn't have product market fit, you know, Mm -hmm. we weren't disciplined there. We, um, I think we lacked focus in certain areas. There's a lot of things I pulled away from it and how we funded the company, what Mm -hmm. kind of investors we got involved Mm -hmm. in it. I mean, uh, I'll so much from that experience guides how we behave today Mm -hmm. and and there isn't a day that goes by that I don't think back to some of the decisions we made back then and what we could have done differently and what we're doing differently now so um yeah I think through every failure you're gonna learn something and then you know also for every success you have you also learn a lot from so um the key is just keep getting back up on the horse and keep going again right Right. you know you can't
0: let failure
1: knock you down right
0: you think you learn more from failure or success
1: I think you learn equally from both. I mean, I—I uh, uh, I know the cop-out answer. Come on, come <laughs> on, man! Pick one. I probably felt like I've learned more from failure. It stings, mm-hmm. like um, the the six, success doesn't sting, but failure does, and mm-hmm. I think that that imprints itself on mm-hmm. me. So, wow. as someone who doesn't like to lose. Right.
0: Okay, so I know we're, we're really short on time now. One last question that I ask every single person. If you could have a billboard, anywhere in the world, you could put anything on it, a word, a sentence, a paragraph, but you knew uh, millions or billions of people would see it, what would you put on that billboard and why? What message would you want to put out there? <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a funny question. I'm just going to answer
1: it maybe a little bit differently okay. because we actually have billboards that millions of people see in San Francisco right yeah. now today on 101, and it says product matters. product matters. And that's been our inspiration behind Pendo is that now more than ever, it's, it's not, you know, how, how gifted your salespeople are, or how good mm-hmm. your customer support are, that the product itself got to be amazing good. because the amazing products are one that we all fall in love with. Mm. So, um, It was actually my idea to put the words product matters. Our marketing team wanted a different direction. So, um, but yeah, that's what it is. Awesome. Well, thank you, Todd. This is amazing.
0: We're looking forward to seeing you at the Innovate Summit on November 9th. Thank Thank you. Appreciate Appreciate it. it. Yeah. Well, there you have it. Our interview with Todd Olson from Pendo. If you'd like to learn more about Pendo, feel free to visit them online at pendo.io. And if you'd like to learn more about Hometown Hustle, visit us online at instagram.com forward slash hometownhustle.tv. Again, I'm your host, Bogdan Padua, and thanks for listening to another episode of Hometown Hustle.